as we continue with the series on right relationships this morning, um, we're going to be talking about one that's always, um, how should I put this? It's always interesting, and it's never not messy, because we're going to be talking about relationships between parents and children. And when I talk about relationships with parents and children, I'm not just talking about young families who have small children, but I'm talking about the whole spectrum of what that looks like. In so much as even as we, you know, as adults have older parents, or as older parents, we have adult children and even grandchildren, all of these come within this spectrum of relationships and how to have right relationships. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking and our New Testament scripture is Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. I'll read this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the world, of the word. I'm sorry, of the Lord. I can't read this morning. <laughs> but this is the word of the Lord. You think I'd be able to read that after a few times this morning already, but go figure. Um, you know, this, this sermon, this series, and this particular topic is one that's very uh, important to me, and it's very important in the life of my family as well. Um, so besides being able to be on staff here at the church, I also run a nonprofit here in town. And my family has a nonprofit as well, and we teach fatherhood and family re reconciliation in about nine different countries around the world. And in fact, my father and I will be, later on this spring, we'll be in Pakistan, and then we'll be in Kenya and Uganda later on. And we teach and we talk about fatherhood and parenting and right relationships, and how to restore and heal, and how to deal with the brokenness that is inherent in all of our families. And I want to say that again, because I want everybody to be on the same level playing field. The brokenness and the inherent dysfunction that is in all of our families. I was talking to somebody after the end of the last service and they said, you know, thanks for being open and honest about things and, you know, and kind of joked about how we all have some aspect of brokenness in our family. Some of our families are maybe more healthy and some are less healthy, but all of them are dysfunctional in some form or fashion. The difference is, is that sometimes we're honest and open and transparent about that. And sometimes we smile and we put a pretty face on it and we hide it and pretend like it doesn't exist. But the nature of relationships and the nature of parent-child relationships means that there is tension and there is struggle and there's a steep, steep learning curve of figuring out how to do it right. Now, my own family, um, the reason we have a ministry 
that talks about fatherhood and family reconciliation is not because we were great at it. In fact, it's the exact opposite. We were a broken and dysfunctional mess, to be very honest. Now, we didn't necessarily look like that. I was an honor student. I was a varsity athlete. My brother was a smart kid, played sports. My mom was an accountant. My dad ended up being a senior vice president at a large hospital. And we looked pretty good. But inside, behind closed doors, we were an absolute mess. And we were a wreck. Now, we didn't really, I think, understand why or what. My dad was doing what he knew to do the best he knew how to do it. I, being the oldest, and, you know, growing up, I would, got, would get upset and would get mad and didn't have the um, emotional maturity to understand why or what or be able to process it. And so it just snowballed into a lot of anger and a lot of hurt and a lot of unforgiveness and a lot of bitterness. And it went so far and so long that when I was 16, I ended up moving out and I was like, I'm done with this. And my father and I literally, and we will get up in front of thousands of people and same thing, we hated each other. We did not like each other at all. Because we were both hurt, we were both angry, and we didn't know how to deal with that or process that. Now let me also give this caveat, we were in church all the time, okay? Like, we were in church. We were believers. We come from a family of believers and pastors and ministers and elders and all the things. We knew all the stuff. And we knew all the right church things and how things were supposed to be. But the reality was is that we were trapped in a cycle of brokenness and unforgiveness and hurt that we did not know how to get out of. And that's the reality of life whether you're a Christian or not. Now, when you go back and as, as, you know, we were very fortunate in our family. God let us go down a path that ended up being so broken and so busted that we had to cry out to him because we had nothing else and we had no solutions and nothing worked. And so we finally got to a point, and God led my father and myself to a point where both of us independently reached out and cried out and said, I can't do this, and I don't know what to do, and you need to help me. And you need to help me learn how to forgive and to love because I am not capable of doing it. And that began a process of restoration in our family that would take a while, but would ultimately be something that we could use and utilize to bless others as well as, you know, I won't say restore our family, but I will say it renewed our family. Now, I'm not saying that to say we're perfect because we're definitely not. Many of y'all know my dad and many of y'all know me. Many of y'all know my mom for being a saint to deal with both my father and me at the same time. But we have learned how to become healthier and we have learned how to try and take some of these things that we learned in church and how to really apply them into our lives in a meaningful and real way. And we've done that as adults, as an adult parent and child relationship. Now, when we look at chapter 6 in Ephesians, uh, we see the first part, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now, 
Um, I'm going to kind of get into this a little bit. We're going to look at some of the Greek words in the original text that Paul is using when he's writing these because some of it is very significant in how we understand what he is trying to say. Because when we talk about obey and you say, you know, that word, it really has one meaning to me. If somebody tells you to obey something, that's it. You do it. It doesn't matter what your status is or whatever. If somebody has authority over you and they say do this, it is your job to obey. We understand that context. But in the original Greek and in the cultural context of the first century, this had a little bit different meaning. When they would talk about obey or to submit to somebody, we see a couple of different words. And if you remember right, between wives and husband, there's this whole wives and husbands, you know, submit this whole concept. Well, the Greek word that Paul is using there, it means submit or obedience among equals. The husband and wife are equals. And that is what the Greek word denotes and it talks about. The Greek word that Paul uses in speaking about children and parents is a different word. It's similar, but it is a different word. And it denotes one who has authority leading, guiding, advising one who is underneath them. And the context is parents and children or, you know, masters and servants, that type of hierarchical structure. And so Paul is automatically saying this isn't the same as being on equal terms. This is a parent being over a child. And with that comes inherent responsibility on both parts. So it's saying children obey your parents in the Lord, which again is significant. In the Lord... Meaning, to most interpreters, this is something that as children are to obey their parents in the Lord. That means they are not necessarily to obey their parents when they are pushing them to do something that is outside of the will of God. Outside of what is scripturally there and gives us guidelines. And I hate to have to make that caveat, but I work and I have worked in the inner city and in various cultures across Amarillo and Dallas and the world. And sometimes you see parents pushing their children into doing things that are wicked or unrighteous or wrong. And that is just the reality of a broken world. The Bible is not necessarily condoning, say, hey, your parents are trying to push you to go, I mean, let's say rob somebody or whatever it may be, or sell drugs or whatever. It's not saying you have to obey in that. It's saying obey in the Lord, in righteousness, in obedience to God's word. When it talks about this, and it talks about even honoring your father and your mother, it has a connotation of, of I suppose, what we would consider honor. Now, that is not a word that we utilize a lot in our culture, in our society. We don't talk about honor a lot. But in the context, honor means to show a high regard, respect for, and to so count as valuable, to esteem, to revere, to show respect for someone is to recognize their worth as a person. And if they are a parent, to recognize the validity of their role and authority. To honor means that I can respect the value of you as a human being, as created in the image of God. But to honor a parent also means to respect the validity of what they are and what they, because of their position, are supposed to be doing. Now, the parent is supposed to be guiding. The parent is supposed to be helping to develop the child in the way of the Lord 
and in the way of being able to be a mature and healthy adult. That's the parent's role in which they are worthy and deserving of honor. Now here's the reality of the fact. We as parents don't always do a good job of that. Even though we may intend to, and even though we may try, because we are inherently sinful, and because we have our own baggage that we carry with us, we don't always do a great job of instructing and guiding. When I look at the brokenness in our own family, we kind of refer to it in a couple of different ways. We say either generational curses or generational sin. That's kind of the phrase we use. Because we can look and see, you know what, my father, our I act a certain way, and that way that I act has a tie-in to the way that my father was. And my father acted a certain way because it has a tie-in and a a repercussion of how my grandfather acted, and so on and so forth. Because although they may have tried their best, their brokenness, our brokenness, is passed on to our children whether we like it or not. It's the nature of life. And that brokenness of a parent ends up hurting and causing brokenness in a child. Sometimes that's dramatic. Sometimes that is, you know, somebody who's abusive physically or verbally. And they end up abusing a child physically. They end up saying the things. They end up doing all that. And that child grows up with these wounds and these hurts. And they don't know how to process it. And they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to forgive it. They just know it is what it is. And they're wounded and hurt from it. But as soon as they get old enough to recognize it, oftentimes these children, as children, we make vows. When I have kids, I'll never do that. Because that hurt me so bad, I will never do that to another person. And those vows oftentimes don't come from a place of forgiveness and grace. They come from a place of pain and unforgiveness. They come from a place that I've been so hurt that I swear to God I will never do that to somebody else. But here's the reality of life. What we don't forgive, what we don't reconcile, we are doomed to repeat and to emulate. Now it may look a little different. If you grew up getting smacked around by a parent and you promise never to smack your own children, you may not lay a fist to them, but you may grab them and shake them up. You may get in their face and scream at them. You may not use that same level of violence, but you're still using a level of violence because you made the promise. I may not, I won't ever hit them, but you know what? I'm not hitting them. I'm shaking them, right? It's the same thing. It's a different degree. And that comes from a place of not being able to forgive or to reconcile. It comes from a place of being wounded. When we look at verse 4, we see what causes this a lot of times. Fathers, and it does specifically say fathers. Earlier in the verse, children obey your parents. It's talking about the Greek has, is the plural, mother and father. But this one is specifically to us as fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. Provoke in the Greek means this, to irritate or to make angry, to cause to irritate or to exasperate. It means to stimulate somebody to the point of brooding, simmering anger, 
that is nurtured and not allowed to die. That's a powerful thing. Now, it sounds horrible, and it's like, well, who would do that? But I'm going to give you my own example, okay, as a father, because I have three children. I have two daughters, and I have a son. My oldest is about 20. Uh, my youngest is 11. So I've got two teenage daughters, one that's almost out, and a son. And I'll be really honest, like, because some of them are more like me personality-wise, which means a little bit stubborn, a little bit loud, a little bit, you know, say what's on your mind. Um, and, you know, fortunately, one of them is very sweet and gentle. That's my son. He's very sweet. Um, but, you know, we would get into it, especially my oldest daughter and I, because we're very similar in a lot of ways. And before I knew it, not even consciously, man, I am poking the bear because she's poking me and I'm poking her right back. And so before I know it, we're provoking each other. And I didn't realize that until later on. As you know, because as a parent, you kind of figure things out as you go, because that's part of what is it. There's not really a good roadmap. We just figure it out. And thankfully, my wife is much more discerning and sensitive. I am, and she's like, hey, you're making this worse. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not making it worse. I'm trying to get her in line and do this and do this and help her figure out that she can't do this in life. And if she does, there's going to be negative repercussions and all this. But the way that I was doing it with my oldest daughter ended up provoking her and making it worse. Now, I wasn't intending to, but I was doing it. The next one down the line, who's 17 right now, very different personality. And so I would try and apply the same things I was doing with my oldest daughter to my middle daughter. Not a good idea. Because they're very different human beings. But I was like, well, this is what you do. This is the right thing. So here's what you do. And you just kind of apply it across the board and you're good to go, right? That is the dumbest parenting move ever. So what I was doing with her was unintentionally doing the same thing, which was to break down her self-worth. It wasn't encouraging and nurturing like she needed me to be, even more so than her older sister. She was much more sensitive and gentle. And I wasn't recognizing that as a parent. I wasn't knowing her like I should know her. Part of children obeying their parents is that they have to trust their parents that they're leading them in the right way. And parents have to, to a degree, especially when our children get older, we have to earn that trust. We have to earn it. Earning that trust is easier than you may think. It just means we need to know our children. We need to know them and be intimate with who they are as individuals. Because if we know them and we know who they are, we know what makes them tick, we know how they think, we know if they're sensitive or they're more callous, we know if they're strong-willed or more gentle, we know these things, then we can deal with each of our children the way we need to without provoking them. We can deal with them as individuals because we know them as individuals, not just as objects, not just as little creatures we're trying to raise upright, but we know them and we see the unique and beautiful way that God created them. Where we fail, even as adults, is to fail to be intimate, to fail to know, and to fail to take time to care to get to know our children. And I'm gonna flip this around. Even children as adults, we fail to take time to really get to know our parents 
and to see them for who they are. Because it goes both ways at a certain point in life. We have to be able to know them, their failings, their strengths, how they tried, how they failed. And as we get older, we can recognize even that in ourselves. And so to be able to bring about right relationships, we have to be able to reconcile that in our own hearts with our own failings, recognizing their failings, and understanding that the grace of God covers it all. And that his forgiveness, his forgiveness heals. One of the things that we do with our fatherhood ministry um, we oftentimes, we deal a lot with forgiveness and reconciliation because that's the first way to having a right relationship is to begin to forgive the one that hurt you or the one that let you down, the one that you feel failed you. You've got to go through this process of forgiveness, but you have to acknowledge what it is and how you were hurt first. And that sometimes is awkward, it's uncomfortable, it's kind of messy. So one of the things we do is say, hey, listen, you may not be able to vocalize this with your mouth, but you can write it down. Write it down. Write a letter to that parent. Write a letter to that father or that mother or that grandparent that raised you. Write a letter to that person who hurt you and tell them. And get it off your chest and share what that did to you. Share that emotion. Share it and write it. And you can choose whether to give it to somebody or you don't. Sometimes giving it to them makes things worse. It's just the reality of it. But one time my dad was doing this, he was in a small town, and he was, you know, talking about writing this letter and, you know, in that forgiveness process, and this old cowboy came up, and he said, uh, you know, it's all great and everything, and I'd love to do it, but my dad's dead, and he's been dead for a long time, and, you know, and I just really got a lot of anger towards that old guy, and blah, 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 and so my dad said, listen, here's the deal, write the letter anyway. This isn't for him, this is for you, so write the letter. You can burn it, you can do whatever you want to with it, but write the letter. The guy said, all right, you know, it goes off. A few months later, my dad sees this old cowboy again. He comes up to my dad, and he's teary-eyed, and he said, you know what, I wrote that letter, and I told him everything. I told him how he hurt me. I told him, you know, all the things. You know, I told him I forgave him. I told him I loved him. He's like, I wrote it all down. I poured out everything onto this sheet. And he's like, and I went to that cemetery, and I sat in front of his tombstone, and I read him that letter. He's like, and then I just put it on his grave and I left it there. And I told him I forgave him. And I told him I loved him. And from that time on, that simple act of reconciliation, although his father was already gone, but that act of reconciliation between a grown adult son and his father who had passed did something in that old cowboy's heart. It softened that callous. It healed that wound that he had carried since he was a little boy. When we talk about right relationships, it is never, ever too late to start. It is never too late to begin the process of reconciliation. And it may start and finish on this earth, or it may start here and end in heaven, but it is never too late to start working on right relationships. Whether you're the child or you're the parent. We use honor. We use love. We use grace. And we understand 
that our children, our children are just us, struggling, working through it. And as children, we see our parents and we recognize our parents are just as broken and just as messed up as we are and they're doing the best they can with what they have. And so we give them grace. We give them mercy. We give them love. And we extend the grace and the forgiveness that we have received even when it wasn't justified and we are not worthy. We extend that same grace and that love to those in our own family. That is the beginning of reconciliation. It's how in the midst of our dysfunction, in the midst of our brokenness, how we began to have right relationships with those that we love. It's the beginning, it's the core, and it's what sees us through in trying to walk out a biblical model. And I'll end on this. This is a verse that I love because it gives me a lot of hope for a lot of things. But in the book of Joel, in chapter 2, verse 25, it says this. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I will restore. And 26 says, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. It may seem hopeless. It may seem broken beyond repair. But we have a promise from the Lord that he is the restorer of what the enemy has devoured. And for those of you who have families that are in a good place and that are healthy and that y'all have right relationships, utilize that to bless others, to encourage others, to give hope and to support. Not ever in a place that, hey, we got this right and do what I did, but in a place of understanding and in a place of grace that you can help others receive that. And I would encourage you, if you're struggling with this, and all of us are to a degree, don't be ashamed and don't be afraid to reach out to pastors, to people that you love and ask them for their prayer and their support as you seek to rebuild, to restore and to have right relationships in your family. There is no shame in being broken because we're all broken. But we have a God that heals and that is something we have faith in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Pray, Lord, that you would restore us, that you would be with us. We pray, Father, that your grace would be sufficient for our failures. And Lord, we just bless you. Let your Holy Spirit work in our lives and bless us. In Christ's name, amen.